Welcome to Meet Your Funeral Celebrant. My name is Tony Piper, and in each episode of this podcast, I'll be talking with a funeral celebrant. As well as getting to know them and exploring their approach to funerals, each guest will also share some useful tips. I hope this helps you find the right celebrant for you so you can create a good send-off. So let's begin. This episode, I'm delighted to be talking to Peter Ryder. Peter is based in Tunbridge Wells down in Kent, and as well as being a funeral celebrant, he is a trained actor and has appeared in numerous films, TV shows, commercials and photo shoots. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, much. It's great to be talking to you, Tony. Oh, it's great to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, as you said, I live in Tunbridge Wells uh, with my partner. I spend most of my life in the car. Um, I'm either visiting families, conducting funerals or other services. So I don't really get any any time for hobbies and uh, no time off. How did you end up becoming a funeral celebrant, Peter? As you get older, you go from uh, engagement parties to, to weddings. And then as you get older, you, you go to other people's funerals. Uh, one day I went to a religious funeral, I think it was in Worthing, but I can't remember, a few years ago, conducted by uh, a minister of the church. Unfortunately, the minister was very unfriendly to the family members who are participating in the funeral, and the whole service was not really relevant or personal to the grieving family and friends who were in the congregation. There was a lot of sort of doom and gloom. I thought this was all wrong. I decided then and there that I could conduct services better and make the service a celebration of the person's life and make it very personal. What's important to you about being a funeral celebrant then? I want to make each and every service that I conduct, as I said before, to be a celebration of the person's life with appropriate music choices, tributes, and a eulogy that is personal to the family and friends who are present. I want to encourage the family and friends to participate in the service if they wish, with my support if needed. After the service, I will remain and support the family until the last person has left the crematorium. I think this is very, very important. I'm not a celebrant who does what is called back-to-back or several services a day and has to rush from one to another. I think this is terrible. I was going to ask you about that, Peter. How much time does it take you to prepare for a funeral on average? Well, I have to travel, see the family. We sit down and we plan the service, the music choices, who's going to speak, um, whether they want it to be a religious, semi-religious or non-religious funeral. I then uh, go away, write the funeral, write the eulogy, plan it, time it, uh, order the music choices with the funeral directors and give them all the other necessary information that they need and then stand up and conduct the service and obviously stay with the family afterwards until the last person's left. That sounds like quite a lot of work to be doing. It is. Uh, People think it's just standing up at the front of the crematorium and doing a 25 or 30 minute service, but there's a lot of background uh, stuff that needs to be doing. Of course. What do you love most about the job? Uh, I get great satisfaction from planning the service, having sat down with the family and personalising it very much to what they want. And I've received thanks and positive feedback from family and friends. You hear so many fascinating stories about people's lives, Mm -hmm. activities, hobbies and adventures. Mm -hmm. I receive many letters and cards thanking me for the service. And I've had a request from families to conduct a second service for them. Uh, for another member of the family who has passed away, so I must be doing something right. (laughs) 
I've quite often been offered a tip after the service, which oh. I find quite embarrassing. <laughs> well, that's a real compliment, though, isn't it? It is. I mean, I must be doing something right, but uh, I still don't really know whether to. I always sort of try and refuse to accept it, but uh, they feel that's what they want to do. So uh, that's, that's the way it is. What's your most useful skill as a funeral celebrant? I think I have uh, two skills. First of all, I'm a good orator, and many people have said that they can hear what I'm saying even at the back of the mm. crematorium. That's important. In some of the crematoria, the PA systems are good, and some of them are not so good. A secondary skill which I have, I feel that the family are relaxed and relieved after I visited them to plan the service. They know that they're in sort of safe hands. I think being a good listener is very important, also to recognise what the family is saying and what they're not saying. Right. After someone has died, there's a lot of paperwork and other matters to sort out, which the majority of people have never done before. Are you able to help with that as well? Uh, I would normally refer them back to the, the funeral directors, so they are sort of uh, they, they can deal with all the necessary paperwork. Oh, okay. So, what makes a good funeral? I think a service which is very personal to the family and runs smoothly, and the uh, eulogy and uh, any family tributes are not too long. Anything more than about uh, two or three pages, I find sometimes the congregations tend to uh, sort of switch off or lose interest at that point. That's a really good point. You know, how do we sum up somebody's life and say all we need to say, but keep everybody engaged? If somebody comes from a business background or they've done business presentations, uh, then the uh, eulogy tends to be quite long or even too long. But uh, I try to help people and and guide them as much as I can, because also I have to keep the service within the the 45 minutes of the service time so the uh, funeral directors don't get fined. Oh, yes, that's right. That's very important. What's not so important at a funeral? Or what is something that people often worry about that they don't need to worry about? I think everything is important, even the small things. What I might think is irrelevant could be immensely important to the family. Mm. So every little detail um, is important. Tell us something about your most innovative funeral. I've done two recently, which... um, uh, I was quite proud of. Uh, once had to conduct a funeral in a crematorium which only held 90 people, and there were 400 people in the congregation, which Gosh. was uh, a bit of a squeeze. Yes. How did, uh, how did you do that? In conjunction with the funeral director, we managed to get 250 people sitting and standing in the crematorium, and then the, the, the rest of the congregation uh, were outside listening on speakers. Oh, okay. And your most challenging funeral? Every funeral uh, is challenging, but I like a good challenge. Um, in another funeral, the deceased was a whiskey drinker, so with the agreement of the family, after the coffin was put on the catafalque, I put a bottle of whiskey near the coffin mm-hmm. of the de- with a whiskey glass and poured out the last drink for the deceased. Nice. Alcohol was not the cause of death, but the family really appreciated it. That's a lovely touch. So do you have one piece of advice that you have for anyone who is organising a funeral at the moment, or even planning a funeral in advance? I think that if you're writing the eulogy to read yourself, or for the celebrant to read, do not make it too long. 
and have only one point of contact between the family and the celebrant. Otherwise, uh, the whole thing becomes too complicated. Um, the eulogy should not be more than two pages long. Otherwise, the congregation will get restless and the service could overrun. I was going to say the final point I'd like to make is a plea to all families. Please write down what type of funeral you'd like, what music choices, whether just religious, semi-religious or non-religious, and some notes on your life history for the eulogy. This will make the workload less at the relevant time and keep this information with your will and tell your family where the information is stored. That's a really good point, Peter. Um, all too often when we're organising a funeral, we find ourselves trying to guess what the person who died might have appreciated or liked. And, you know, to to be able to prepare that bit in advance and at least give those that are left behind some starting points for planning a funeral sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, I mean, I find quite often that uh, somebody is in their late 90s and they've come from a care home Um all of their friends, relatives, and family um, have passed away or are overseas, and I've got to try and um, write a service for that person with relatively no information, mm. and the congregation can be maybe just uh, somebody from the care home and a solicitor. Right. Well, that's really useful advice. Thank you very much, Peter. So it's good to plan slightly in advance. Would you say it can be problematic if somebody plans too much in advance and prepares the whole funeral and doesn't leave uh, the bereaved any work to do or any decisions to make. Yeah, I think you've got to um, give the family um, who could be uh, preparing and uh, helping with the service um, some details, but there has to be a little bit of flexibility right. because um the venue could be uh, could be a woodland uh, burial it could be a normal burial it could be cremation right so there has to be a little bit of flexibility i think there's also something about part of the what moves us on in our bereavement in the early stages is feeling that we have participated and created something to express um our sense of loss and our sense of appreciation for the person who's died. And that by doing all of the work in advance, it doesn't give us that opportunity to do that important work. No, I agree. I mean, it is planning the, the service and being present at the service, I think, is uh, part of the grieving process. And if it's too inflexible, then uh, um, it can't take place. Right. Well, Peter, it's been great to speak to you. What other kinds of uh, services do you have? Well, apart from cremation, burial, and uh, woodland burial, uh, I offer also offer scattering of ashes um, services, which is like a mini service for people sometimes who uh, couldn't come to the uh, crematorium. Um, so it's like a mini service and... I think it's it's quite nice to support families in this way. Memorial services and also uh, pet funerals becoming more popular now. Pet funerals, can you just say a little bit about that for us? Generally, when a, a pet passes away, um, they are part of the family, a family member, and it's just as important to give that uh, family pet uh, 
a proper send-off um, rather than uh, just what the uh, vet might do. Right, and you're able to create that send-off. Yes, indeed, and there are uh, nowadays a number of uh, pet uh, crematoria in the southeast who can offer uh, cremation services uh, as well as my services. Right. So does a pet funeral take place at a pet crematorium or just for the ashes? I mean, it can do. It depends really what the uh, what the family want. Um, sometimes they just want it um, in their their back garden with a small service before they uh, they uh, bury the pet. Or if it's uh, at a crematorium, then it would be uh, sort of a mini service and then dealing with the ashes. Right. Lots of options, as ever. Lots of options, and if any family wishes to call me up and discuss any sort of service, I'll be happy to uh, speak to them. Uh, uh, at any time that's great and we'll post your uh, contact details and website address in the show notes that's great it's great to speak to you Tony thank you very much likewise with you Peter take care thanks thank very you. much bye 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 bye